Welcome to the Faculty Podcast brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of the 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president, professor of Old Testament here at RTS Washington. I'm joined by my colleagues and dear friends, as always, Dr. Tommy Keene, academic dean and professor of New Testament, Dr. Peter Lee, dean of students and professor of Old Testament, Dr. Paul Jean, instructor in New Testament and senior pastor of New City. I'm going to slow down now. New City Presbyterian Church. <laughs> he's wearing it. He's wearing a T-shirt. Yeah, he's wearing a T-shirt to remind us. He's always wearing a T-shirt. Yeah. Dear listener, may not know that Paul has a branding campaign for his church that involves him wearing a T-shirt of his church's logo every day, every day. Yeah. and the tr- and, and the t-shirt That's updates awesome. pastors this is real news you can use the t-shirt updates every year mm-hmm. so only some people have certain t-shirts yeah. and it's kind of a it's a sign of status and place That's right. at it's new real. city church which That's t-shirts do you have you know so there's ones that go all the way back to the 70s with like tie-dye and bubble letters <laughs> Back to you guys have seen Jesus Revolution. Most people don't know that Paul was a big part mm. of that movement. It predates my existence. Do, do you wear Do you wear Tell the T-shirts to class when you teach? So, when you teach here at so RTS, I do you wear a uh, jacket to look very? Okay, so you do the T-shirt with the jacket. The jacket is professorial. You know, we ought to get a shirt that says "I am a professor." How's that? Mm-mm. It's both no. professorial and shirt. Actually, you oh. know, there are studies that show that, you know, limiting your attire actually helps your creativity. Actually, erase this. <laughs> I'm not quoting the book I correctly. I think in that, in that no, it's, the, it's the decision fatigue thing, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So. That's, like that's the Facebook guy. He th- well, that's like Zuckerberg Steve Jobs. says that. Yeah. And then. Paul's very similar to Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, he's, he's, a, a he's the Mark Zuckerberg there, of exactly. Presbyterians. He's just much wealthier. I <laughs> <laughs> said of well, Presbyterians. <clears throat> today, friends, it's good that we start in jest, mm. that we begin in jest, mm. because today is a lighthearted day, because we're discussing the second fruit of the Spirit, that is the fruit of joy, and we know from scripture that joy is a major topic it's an issue and we might even say for all of us both in pastoral ministries and also in our personal lives joy is not uh, an easy issue you know what is joy is joy amusement is it entertainment is it mere happiness Uh, is it a firing of endorphins coming out of your brain and changing the way that you physically feel you know what is joy Uh, of course scripture says a lot about joy um, the verse that comes to my mind right away, of course, is Nehemiah 8, where you know, Nehemiah here is preaching to, um, actually, no, in this case, it's Ezra speaking, I think, right? Uh, and speaking to the returnees and is telling them, don't grieve, don't grieve, but rather be filled with the joy of the Lord because, and this is interesting, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, and I, I can relate to that. I can relate how that's where your strength comes from. We might think that it's faith or that it's love, right? Or that it's something else, it's some kind of resoluteness, right? But can you see how that's also the case, how the joy of the Lord is your strength? So what is joy? How is it a fruit of the Spirit? 
Um, how ought we to think about that? And I think before we get done here, we should also address the question, though let's not start with it, but address the question of what happens when you're not feeling joy? What, is, what does that mean when you're not joyful? Hmm. Okay. So I'd like to start off with our resident expert on the topic of joy. He's actually written on it. Now, the, the book is, uh, is um, ironically named Joy Unspeakable, and yet I'm about to ask him to speak about it. So, Dr. Lee, could you lead us, in, open our discussion on joy and joy as a spiritual fruit? Yeah. I, uh, well, you know, the phrase joy, the phrase joy unspeakable, as you know, is, is just a quote from the Bible. Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> in other words, I didn't come up with the title. You know, that's, you know, that's the Bible. It's not your fault. No, it's not my fault. I didn't say, I didn't say it was indescribable. God said it was indescribable. <laughs> so that's right out of uh, 1 Peter 1, 1.8 uh, that, that talks about a, um, that though you don't see him, you uh, believe in his name and now are given a, you know, it, it, the old King James translation, of course, is that joy unspeakable, full of grace and truth. Mm. Um and that's pretty cool, you know, that's to a community that is really suffering and being persecuted because of their faith. Yeah. And yet he tells them that they can have this inexpressible joy. I think that's the only time that occurs in the Old, uh, excuse me, in the New Testament, in the Bible as a whole. Um, and, um, and that's a pretty remarkable thing. I think at bare minimum, maybe just to get our conversation started is, uh, you know, we live in a corrupt world. Um, you know, we see it every day. Uh, pastors have to deal with this on a regular routine basis. Um, and uh, one of the uh, 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 great words of comfort that we have from Scripture is that in spite of the corruption, the fallenness, the, uh, the sin fatigue that we suffer through from day to day, from week to week, um, which is really remarkable in terms of how damaging it is, how discouraging Mm. Um, mm -hmm. In spite of all of that, we we are told that we can have joy. I mean, I think maybe we should just start with the fact that you know we don't need to feel defeated. There is a uh, a sense in which that we can have something um, uh, uh, very assuring, very encouraging, very comforting, um, and uh, and the, and the Bible makes it very clear. I mean, that's why I kind of like that First Peter phrase there because the joy mm -hmm. he's talking about is a joy that we can have now. So it isn't a, a joy you'll have in heaven. It's a joy that you'll have now, and he describes it no, as a joy that you can have. You're not going to have it in heaven have. alone. Right, right, you'll have it in heaven as well, yeah. right? But it, you don't have to wait for that. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's kind of remarkable. It's a, it's a heavenly joy mm -hmm. that you can have here now, um, and, and that's encouraging. I mean, you know, I think maybe just to get the ball started here, we can just start with that, that, you know, uh, for... Um, our students, for our uh, 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 for our listeners, that if you're going through rough times right now and, you, and you're just really struggling, uh, that's not the end of your narrative. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be. And in fact, it doesn't. Uh, in Christ, you can have something more, and that's really great. Yeah. Great One of the thought. things I actually like about your book is, I mean, it's about joy, but it's about joy and suffering. And you open with that chapter that's like. I don't remember exactly how many you list out, but something like 13 different kinds of suffering experiences yeah. that we're to expect as Christians. And yet in the midst of that, we're supposed to have joy. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. You know, we, we you know, again, I don't think this is rocket science. We all have uh, 
faced personal crises. We all uh, are perhaps going through it now. You know, our brother Paul here pastors a church filled with people, I, I presume, uh, that are going through a lot of different stuff. Um, it, it's it's encouraging to me how much the Bible has to say to encourage. You know, it has a lot to say about suffering, and one thing in particular is that in uh, in spite of it, sometimes even because of it, you c- still can have joy, and that's really mm-hmm. great. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Um, I love what you said. Um, I'm a little offended because I also wrote a book on joy. No one's cool. <laughs> no. We all assume that everyone knows about that no, book. No, no, no. Um, but I, I need the promotion poll. It's right. just hard to keep track of your books. That's all. Actually, I, I don't really remember what the title is. <laughs> I think joy's in it, but see, you, you don't even know. You don't even know what you wrote. But about. it has to do with Philippians, and like Peter was saying, that um, Paul's in prison. Obviously, less than ideal. And one of the things that he keeps saying is that, you know, I rejoice. So um, it's possible to be joyful. Um, and what that means, I think, is genuinely, like, happy. Like, you don't want to over-spiritualize it, but you can be happy. But one of the things that Paul talks about is that <clears throat> it depends directly on your um, what is at the center of your heart. Because the repeated refrain is that even though I'm in prison, like, the gospel is going forth. Jesus is being proclaimed. And so joy is not as, I think, mysterious as we think. Um, rather, our joy or our lack is somewhat revealing of like what's at the center of our heart. Now, I think like Scott raised a really good question. Is it possible for like genuine believers to go through periods of like drought and depression? Absolutely. But I think one of the things that joy does is it definitely reveals like what matters most to us. So thanks, Peter. Yeah, it's interesting that you have passages in Scripture. It's an important thing to remember. You can't just go do a, a search of your English Bible for the word joy and then pull out all the verses. Mm-hmm. And, and, oh, they're all talking about the same thing. And yet this idea of this kind of positive emotional stance, right, this this idea of rejoicing, the other words that would be in this group, you know, rejoicing in Hebrew, you have this word ashray, which is often translated blessed, like in Psalm 1, and yet probably means something more like, oh, the joy of the man who delights in the law of the Lord, right? It's, it's, it's not actually barak, it's not the blessing word, and yet we use it in that way. But it seems to almost, it's almost like a, like a cheer for someone who is a person of faith. Right. And yet the term there is something like happiness. But in English, happiness is often kind of a fleeting idea. Right. And so, you know, the scripture says different things about this positive emotional response to the Lord. That is one of joy of a lifting of the emotions in that way. And sometimes it's it's highlighting really how this joy undergirds even our suffering. Right. Even in the midst of our of our weeping and even in the midst of our depression, there's like this undercurrent of an unspeakable joy, which may coincide with something like that peace that passes understanding, right? In both cases, they're, they're counterintuitive. Like you shouldn't be joyful and yet you have this undercurrent of, of, of joy. You shouldn't be at peace and yet you have this undercurrent of, of peace. You know, it's interesting, some passages will highlight, you know, that joy has a season and then there are other seasons to get to the point about depression and and maybe feeling alienated from the Lord. Um, I think the Psalm is talking about how weeping is at night, but joy comes in the morning, you know, so it's not like the Bible is Pollyannish about this, 
right, to y'all's point, right? Is there a sense in which joy is more acutely felt at some times mm -hmm. than at others? Absolutely, and, and the, you know, the, the biblical text reflects that kind of complexity. It's not saying we walk around with this kind of dumb luck smile on our faces right. all the time, right? And yet recognizes that there is, though, there's this thing, right? And you actually, Peter, you just pointed to it a little bit with talking about the joy in heaven. There's this kind of eschatological aspect to joy, right? You're, you're now, in a sense, even in your darkest moment, you're breathing the fresh air of the new heavens and new earth because the Spirit dwells within you and you have the fruit of the Spirit, part of which is joy. And that does kind of like, there's this sort of eschatological down payment that joy is, right? We're getting a little foretaste of heaven. We're getting a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth even in the midst of the darkness of today. I think that's the, the, a super important aspect that kind of cuts through that tension, the tension between, on the one hand, you know, I, I, I'm not Pollyannish. I'm not calling things that are evil good. Yeah. Things that are hard, I'm not pretending like they're not hard. No. I can acknowledge the depth. I mean, you're doing a, a whole blog series on the Lament Psalms right now, Peter, and, and just acknowledging the depth of the sorrow that, attends the Christian walk. And at the same time, in the midst of all of that, there's this ground, this anchor of joy, because it's anchored in eschatology, because it's anchored actually in the future state of affairs, the, the beatific vision, all, all that kind of stuff. And Peter, not you, Peter, but the Bible Peter, the other Peter. The other one. The other, the other one. <laughs> Let's call him... Kephas. <laughs> and then Peter is their professor, Cephas. a colleague. Cephas. Uh, yeah. he, he argues in First Peter 4, right, that, that the, the reason we can have this joy is that in our sufferings we share in Christ's suffering so that we can rejoice when his glory is revealed. And, and that is the ground of our joy, is the glory of Christ shared with us, even be, not even in spite of, but because of we share in his in his sorrows. Amen. I wish someone would write a book on that. You did write a book. We're all praising your book. I'm just insecure. You know, um, one of my favorite quotes <clears throat> when it comes to joy, I think is what, I think C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God is serious about the business of joy. Mm. I think he said, sounds like a C.S. Lewis thing. Mm. But um, I think a lot about how that actually has helped me to think about the Bible's call to repentance, um, recognizing sin, um, not in a negative way, but because God is serious about like our experience of joy, and He knows that so long as we hold on to worthless idols, then we can never be joyful. And so, I think that's one of the things that's said about our culture. Obviously, there's this universal longing for joy, right? Something that transcends circumstance, but. If our society simultaneously rejects the reality of sin and repentance, then it really makes it impossible for, you know, people to experience the gift that God has to offer. Because, like again, as C.S. Lewis allegedly said, like God is serious about the business of joy, and so there's an irony to that that makes sense when you think about it from the perspective of the Bible. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the uh, I think that's really kind of counter intuitive if you think about it you have to acknowledge sin and its impact to really experience joy um you don't normally would you know think that way you know the road to joy in other words is through um the uh the damage and the condemnation of sin yeah. so you suffer through that 
you feel guilty, you feel ashamed, and you should. I mean, it's sin. That's not good. But that's not the end of the narrative. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. And that is the source of our joy. And mm. uh, I guess you could almost say that real joy um, is is really a Christian experience. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. a believer can genuinely, who rests in Christ, uh, can really experience joy. And unless you have faith in Christ, you have no way to deal with you know, the corruption in your own heart. The best you can do is to either deny it or rationalize it away, but it's not doing anything. It's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. You, you know, the only way to really find a sense of resolution, of, of, uh, of satisfaction, of forgiveness, is to acknowledge that you've offended a holy God and now rest and rejoice in the fact that you've been pardoned of it. I, I think, uh, Paul, your church, I know, does a regular... And I think a lot of our churches do a regular weekly, it, during our Lord's Day service, a a kind of corporate confession of sin, as well as maybe individual times of sin. And, um, and, and that's such a great exercise to do, not just weekly, corporately, but individually, because the, the, the practice is not just to repent and feel bad about yourself. The practice is to repent and rejoice in forgiveness. The, the end product, you could say, is joy, not sorrow. And people who repent properly should be able to experience that, and 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 that's the direction. So, so the practice of forgiveness or, or of repenting, that what Paul was just saying, uh, is definitely to experience this. Um, it's it's very grounded. It is very objective. It is it is um, rooted in the redemptive work of Christ. It's fantastic. You see, I love it. Yeah. I think it's a, another component of this is remembering that this is this is joy. It's it's grounded in the future, grounded in our eschatological hope, but it's also spiritual, right? That these are all fruits of the spirit, and that's another encouragement, in in my view, that that we can have this joy because it, it it's not something we muster up. You know, it's not something that we that's a that's the result of a particular kind of character trait or skill set or or willpower willpower view of life it's actually comes from it's an alien joy it comes from the spirit and through communion with the father the son the holy spirit that's the source of our joy which means again you know that it's it's non-circumstantial it's always there even while we're you know in despair we can have this joy that comes from the knowledge of of our Heavenly Father. Yeah, that's a really interesting comment because <clears throat> Paul seems to suggest in Philippians that joy is something you learn, but it's not like a skill like that you learn, but it's something actually you learn through experience, through the ups and downs, right? Mm. And so, you know, I would encourage our listeners, like, yeah, again, it's not something like it, that can be artificially learned, like, you know, calculus or something. But if you are a believer, there's something, I think the Greek uh, verb that's used there is mantano. It means like to learn particularly through experience where I think there is an aspect of the Christian life where you have to learn how to be joyful, um, you know, in view of the gospel, in view of like the new age that has come. So I would agree with that. And again, I would just encourage our listeners that it, it can be, maybe learned is not the right word. I don't know what you guys think, but like developed or Gained. nurtured. <coughs> yeah. Cultivated. Yeah, cultivated. Oh, that's a good word. Cultivated. 
I still like gained, but anyways. Um, Fine. Yeah, but <laughs> gained is good. Well, you know, I was thinking about that because talking about the eschatological, already not yet kind of side of all this is, you know, what does Paul say in Philippians 2, right? That you can make my joy complete. Mm, yeah. And this idea that he has joy and yet he's seeking a consummation of joy, right? Mm-hmm. And we often think that's going to be when Jesus comes again and he would agree, but he'd say part of it is seeing that the fruit that or the, the labor that Christ has been doing in you will meet its completion mm-hmm. because as you, my church members, are responding and hearing the word and responding to it, you're, you're bringing about, you're bringing ever closer that consummation of joy. You know, and I, I like that idea of a cultivated yeah. mind, cultivated joy. <laughs> um, I mean, gained is good. Augmented. <laughs> that's right. Aug- yeah, right. You're active in it. You're, yeah. act- you're active in the process. And, and that's like all of the fruit. There's, there's that tension in all of the fruits, right? That on, on the one hand, it's, it is learned. It's cultivated. It's, mm-hmm. it's gained. It's, you know, it, there's work to it, and we can grow in these things, and that growth is not a passive mm-hmm. activity. It's 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 active and engaged but at the same time it's not it's not like learning calculus or learning um you know greek greek or how to be well adjusted in life or how to deal with you know one's weakness it's actually it's grown and given and gained and cultivated by resting in the word the means of grace yeah communion with the spirit and the whole and and the Mm. son John Murray, uh, the reformed theologian of the 20th century, one of one of of the greats, says that illumination is the work of regeneration on its noetic side. In other words, he says God, the Holy Spirit regenerates us as a result. Our minds—that's what he means by noetic, right? Our, our minds are illuminated as a result of that. Could we say something like joy? is the outworking of regeneration on its emotional side. Mm, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's talking about, and it may, maybe that's actually even true of all the fruits of the Spirit, right? That this is, because the, they all have kind of a, an emotional side to them, um, that this is the effect of regeneration. We talk about the Spirit regenerating our hearts, leading us to faith. Uh, now we hear the Word of God, not just as text, but as the words of our Lord speaking to us. We rightly evaluate that it is the Word of God. And when we engage in our emotions, we find ourselves having these non, you know, using Paul's language, uh, spiritual, not fleshly responses. Yeah, I like right? that. And it, it, it kind of gets at, I don't know what y'all think, what the opposite of joy would be. Hmm. Maybe despair. But, you know, we we as Christians can always have this joy and can grow in this joy because of our hope, because of our love, uh, because of our union with Christ, that that we are never despairing in that sense yeah. or um, nihilistic in our in our viewpoint. But we're we're always growing in this emotional healthiness of of a constant joy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually really so interesting because I think our happiness changes in at least two ways. One. The things that used to make us happy actually don't mm-hmm. make us as happy anymore because you know we're a new creation. But I forget who else said this. I'm, I'm, I'm Peter. It might have been you, or or Peter. Peter or Peter or Peter or C.S. Lewis. But they basically said that just like we are not as sorrowful as we would have been outside of the gospel, in the same way, actually, ironically, we are not as happy 
as we would be. Like, let's yeah. say I won the lottery, which would, yeah. I would be happy, but not that I promote playing the lottery, just to be clear. You might want to it's a topic for a different episode. <laughs> but, but we are just not as happy because um, of, like, our eschatological hope. So I think that there's something strange. Like, Christians are more joyful, but it may not look more joyful. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, well, I mean, like, the, the, yeah. you, we, as, a, as a follower of Creator God, like a redeemed image of God, right, you experience the blessings of this life in a richer, more deeply held way than your unbelieving neighbor. Now, whether or not that it looks like that, but of course that's that's true in a lot of ways, right? Whether or not someone's actually sh- showing, you know, that that can be culturally bound, personality bound, or whatever, and yet there's a sense in which our joy ought to be greater because it is rooted mm-hmm. in the spirit of the Creator, right? Yeah, I think it's exactly because it is greater, we may not look happier in the eyes of this world, like mm-hmm. because. Um, it's it's like we know it'll be realized in the future and so the things that typically makes people super happy right now like let's say you like i don't know like just paid off your house or something i I would be happy about that but i wouldn't be happy to the same degree because the things that we are joyful about are very different because it's not a a temporal yeah Yeah. Yeah. that makes a lot of sense it's an eschatological thing so i think that's the way joy is modified as a christian so how do we what, what do we say then to the person who goes I hear you I believe I, I, I pray that I have the spirit okay but I'm really struggling with depression or uh, I'm just kind of down maybe it's maybe yeah. it's not a clinical depression maybe I'm just kind of down things look around me see it feels like my faith makes me sadder so maybe to your point, Paul, you know, because I know of what how things should be and they're not this way. You know. How do we, um, or actually a flip side of that, how, you know, I find happiness, but I don't, I don't find happiness in the things of the Lord. I'm finding happiness in things I know are not in the things of the Lord. Mm-hmm. How do you advise that person? Read Peter's book. Joy Unspeakable. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ed Welch would say, First and foremost, let them talk a lot because mm-hmm. you learn so much about their particular experience of not having joy from the language that they use. Mm. So I, I've actually found that very helpful, that especially in the beginning, just letting them um, talk a lot and for them to even realize the language that they're using and eventually um, the source of what's really causing them lack of joy. Yeah, right. I mean, and, and to that end, the... The response is at some point we might need to say, Hey, this this is a call this is a call to be joyful, so be joyful. But yeah. we don't start there, you know. Hey, you're not being you're you're being depressed, don't be depressed is yeah. not where where we begin. It's not, it's not helpful for us, it's not helpful for them. So listening I think is a huge p- part of that. Lamenting with those you know, weeping with those who weep is a big part of that because part of our joy, right, is that we are a body we are together mm-hmm. and and entering into unhappiness actually can bring both parties that greater joy the joy of communion mm. that's good yeah we just 
you know, our family just came out of a time recently, a, a, a dear friend passed away in an mm-hmm. untimely death. And, you know, there's that, there's that deep grief that comes along with those kinds of things, but there's also a lot of talk at funerals. The person, praise God, was a believer and um, you know, professed Christ, and so there's a lot of talk about grieving with hope, you know, at the funeral. Um, and but it does raise that question again, particularly when you, you know, if you are one of those sensitive people. There are people who are very uns- insensitive and not not aware and have no empathy, you know. And in some ways, that might be a mercy, right, to those people. There's also those people who are very sensitive about the world around them. And if you're not one, you probably know someone who's that way, who's you know worried about every possible problem that's happening in the world. And I think the answer to this is not to say, well, those things aren't really sad. I even hesitate to say on this, I've, I've commented on this before, but one of my favorite authors, Tolkien, who says in the new heavens, new earth, all sad things will be made untrue. I don't think he's right. I don't think that's true. I think all sad things will be made maybe glorious, right? I don't think the crucifixion is, not uns, is unsad mm-hmm. in the new heavens and new earth. Christ still bears the marks on his flesh, and yet now they're, they draw us to glory. They draw our, our minds to worship, right? So... With that said, I think there is a sense, putting aside a clinical depression where there might be all kinds of things that, that need to come in because of chemical imbalances or otherwise, also putting aside sort of talking and therapy, which is good and, and important, mm-hmm. right? There is also this thing, I think we should, we should recognize that in our sanctification, we are going to find ourselves at times being more aligned with the spirit and, and at other times less aligned or alienated from the spirit, feeling that way. And it's a good thing to pray that my emotions would be conformed, mm-hmm. my joy would be conformed to God's joy, right? To the things mm-hmm. that God is joyful about. And not seeing emotions as is so common in the West as like uncontrollables, right? Well, yeah. I can't help right, it. Right. I don't know. You know, saying, no, actually, Lord, I pray that, yeah, while emotions do feel less controllable maybe than thoughts, and yet, as we also know, they're, they're, they're very reciprocal. You know, say, Lord, I pray that you'd conform me, that, that I'd find joy in the things you find joy in. I don't right now, but I want to. Help me to find joy in the things that you find joy in. You said something that really profound, particularly in the, in the kind of the joy that can come out of a funeral. I mean, you're, you're mourning, yeah. you're, you're lamenting, and, and, and that's, a genu- you know, that's a genuine, deep, abiding, yeah. in some ways, sadness. But there's actually... It's actually grounded in a joy, right? It's mm-hmm. grounded in the joy and the love of the other person. Yeah. It's grounded in a joy, a joy maybe lost. Mm-hmm. It, I, I keep getting. I think it's that it's it's one of those Pixar movies where where up. the big dis- it's probably up. up. It's probably up. No, it's not up. <laughs> it's I know it's the one with the it's number two is Inside Out. It's Inside Out. Okay. That's what it is. Where where I the guess. big the big reveal spoiler yeah. alert the big f- reveal is that. Behind all of the ha- behind all of the joy, there is this sorrow, and vice versa, mm-hmm. um, and, and that they, the two actually coexist, kind of alongside one another in a healthy yeah. in a healthy. Way. And I yeah, think that actually could also begin to understand explain how in the new heavens and new earth, when every tear is wiped away, we'll still be able to reference sadness, yeah. and yeah. the tragedy of sin, and yet it won't be now unto sorrow or despair; it'll be unto 
glory and worship. It's just more of a memory, perhaps, of what used to yeah. be, but no longer. Well, I even think, I mean, I this is, there, may some, there may be some error in here somewhere, but it's kind of like the minor chords in the midst of a song. Minor chords, you don't, you don't want a song just of major chords, right? It, it, not, not, that it, not that God's glory is less if we didn't have sin or something like that, right? I'm not saying that, but is it possible that our worship, part of the beauty of our worship is that it will be informed with the memory what used to be of brokenness yeah. yeah but no longer i mean we don't we can remember the time when it was but we are no longer experiencing yeah, that that's now right. in that's right um in the glorified state so um I, there definitely i think is perhaps something really unhealthy to um force yourself to kind of be joyous all the time when everything is collapsing around you yeah you know there's something very i think spiritually healthy to acknowledge that you know you know, things are not going great. I'm not feeling good about this. You know, uh, yeah, people Jesus, are... Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept yeah. when uh, a friend died. Um, you know, uh, it, it, you know. There, I mean, there, there perhaps there are healthy expressions of this to remember, but, um, um, you know, the to, to pretend like everything is great and to have sort of a, a faux joy uh, is not... I think what we're talking about here, yeah, you know, this is truly something genuine, something very Holy Spirit uh, given, and uh, and I appreciate the questions, God, I really do. I'm struggling with it because it's such a real life situation. We can discuss yeah. this theologically, and it's easy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but when we talk about real life situations, and it's out there, you know, joy is one of these things that's not like justification, which is kind of easy to discuss, you know, in terms of its you know nature, its grounds, its instrumentation, yeah. all of that stuff. Uh, I do like the idea of a um, alien joy, a phrase you used earlier, Tommy. I think that's great. Um, but in real life, you know, we have people who really are struggling with exactly that scenario, mm-hmm. and um, and there's then there's where you know theology and and instruction kind of has to meet, and 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 I'm not altogether sure what I would say. I definitely would encourage a person that you know if they're suffering through sin or 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 sorrow, whatever the causes of that might be, whether it is uh, the death of a friend, which, you know, they didn't sin to cause that, or, you know, they, um, you know, they did do something wrong, then, and they're suffering a result of that, um, that, uh, you know, those types of things are real, and it's okay to struggle through that, Um, but to always try to kind of push them toward the normative. That's not the end of your narrative. That's not the end of your story. Uh, it can be a season of time, as you were suggesting, but um, there is a real, genuine hope for joy. It's it's very rooted. I, I think I love how we've been discussing the God-centeredness of all of this, mm. uh, which really gives it a real objective grounding of the, the reality, you yeah. know, that we can experience of this. Um, and how if if our objective source of joy is the spirit of god you know as we're talking about here mm-hmm. then it supersedes circumstances situations health so you can be dying even and still experience joy that's the amazing thing yeah. you know you can um you know go through tragedies and still experience joy because your joy mm-hmm. is not rooted in your circumstances it's rooted in an objective person uh, in the Lord, in the reality of the gospel, you know these aren't these don't change over time. 
The Lord yeah. doesn't change over time. You know, it, it is rooted. In that. And, and I think the, the real benefit that I'm taking away from our conversation here is just that very strong, you know, uh, Christ-centeredness in, in the mm. source of our joy, and that's great. It's a, yeah, I, I think about, it's perhaps fitting that in the, uh, an episode on joy, we talk a lot about grief, but I think about how many passages in the Scripture written by the psalmist, right? Written, or Jesus himself, or the apostles give expression maybe to what this joy looks like in the middle of great concern, we might say, great, uh, you know, difficulty and affliction. And you have, you know, like Psalm 7326, though my flesh fails, right? Though everything that I have my, my heart doesn't make it. You alone are my portion. Yeah, that's that, great. That's a cause for joy. Think about it. Even if all the worst things come true, you just listed like you know, something happens to someone and you didn't cause it. Something happens to someone and you did cause it. What do you do about that? What do you do about you, when you and your finitude or your fallenness cause some great suffering, both in your life and in the lives of others? Like, is there any coming back from that? And the scripture says, may, maybe, maybe if only in the fact that the Lord is your portion. Mm-hmm. Maybe nothing else works out. You go to jail, you get convicted, your reputation's ruined, the real suffering happens, all those things happen. Maybe it's only in that, right? Or think of Peter, you know, when Jesus in John 6 is preaching this great sermon and then wraps it up with a, with a two-point application, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone leaves. Everyone says, okay, that's not where we thought you were going. This just went sideways. And Jesus says to the disciples, will you leave too? And Peter steps forward and doesn't say, no, Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Where yeah, else no will we go? go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You know, this, this passage where you just see it's like barely holding on, or I think of Psalm 88 with Ezra, uh, uh, Haman rather, the Ezra Heidnes. It's just the, it's the, it's the all bad song. Like there's right, no good. Right. There's no turn at the end where he says, but I know my redeemer lives and I will one day see his temple again or something. There's nothing like that. It's just dark the whole way through. Where's his joy? Maybe it's only in the fact that he's got somebody to pray to. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean that, that for some of us, there are going to be seasons in life. And for some of y'all may feel like this is your life all the time, but like that's your portion. Right. And you can still, you know, with, with Paul say, my joy will one day be made complete. Maybe that goes back to the kind of where you started, Scott, with the joy, my joy is my strength. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't need to be strong in, in a situation of, uh, you know, ease and luxury, right? Like, right. man, I, help me to be strong today as I relax on the beach kind of thing. It, <laughs> you need strength yeah. precisely when you're suffering and you're yeah. struggling. And joy is that thing that grounds us in something else, yeah. something beyond the struggle, that hope yeah. that the Lord is my portion. Yeah, something true. Something true. Something true yeah. beyond. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So we've spent a lot of time speaking about an unspeakable joy, mm-hmm. but also I think in doing that we could spend a lot more time partly because of the fact this is unspeakable, isn't it? This is speaking of uh, something like a mystery, as the fruit of the Spirit are, that these fallen and finite creatures might live lives of joy. What a wonderful thing we have in Christ. Thanks, brothers, for this conversation. Thanks for uh, unpacking this and and working through this. Um, I'm enjoying the series, even though we're only on episode two. There's a lot to talk about. Thanks, everyone, for being a part of this. We look forward to 
continuing in this series on the fruit of the spirit in the weeks ahead. Um, we look forward to that time with you. And again, if you have any questions, please feel free to click on the link in the show notes. If you want to know more about RTS, because you want to increase your joy uh, by taking classes at RTS. Wow. How wow. about that? Good plug. Good That's, one. I, mean, I like it. Smooth, seamless. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to rts.edu. Uh, and if you want to know more about RTS Washington, you can go to rts.edu forward slash Washington. We'd love to have you in class. Uh, we've had you in class, by the way. I have people in class who found out about us or were encouraged to come because of the podcast. So great being with everyone this week. Look forward to being with you all again next week. Until then, take care. for a good quote. Give me a good quote on Christian LaJoy. Come on, folks. Who's got it? Joy? Joy. Uh, Joy unspeakable. I hear that there's a book I'm about that. Anything You're going to have to speak about it, though. <laughs> That's a good joke. I'll use that today. You're going to have to speak about Joy unspeakable today, Peter. Uh, <laughs> that is good. That's <laughs> suffer. That, that'll, that's guaranteed to get polite no, chuckles get from, no laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> from my children.